0: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch.
1: Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today I get to chat with the CMO of VMware, Carol Carpenter. Now VMware is a true enterprise as is Google Cloud, where she was prior as global VP marketing. So this is a true enterprise CMO, but one who's also come from many startups. She talks today about her experiences starting as even a CEO at one point at a small startup and having that experience and the perspective it's given her along with other roles like Trend Micro, where she got to be the GM. And we even dig into the idea of being a CMO who's got to think beyond cap and beyond growth metrics to understand the true P&L. And this is someone who's ultimately now able to jump into roles and think strategically about the entire business. On the second half of our chat today though, we jump into a very important topic for any market and that's customer segmentation. When you have a portfolio as broad as VMware, you need to be able to understand your buyers, where they're coming from. We hit on important elements like attribution and how that plays in to creating a better, buyer journey at the end of the day this is one of my favorite episodes carol is clearly a cutting-edge cmo here's our chat Carol, I am so excited to be sitting down with you and chat about your opportunity as CMO of VMware. VMware is such a a massive organization, and I'd love to trace back for you to think about how you had the confidence to take on roles like this and that of Google Cloud leading their marketing. Where do you look back and say this all started for you?
2: Thanks, Randy, for having me. I think it happened for me when I was at a company called Trend Micro, a cybersecurity company. I was there for over six and a half years. And while I was there, I went from being the global VP of marketing to general manager for one of the three customer segments with full PL. You know, I had an engineering team reporting to me for the first time, I had the marketing team, I had finance people, and I was responsible for driving the sales and profitability of that customer segment. It was the SMB and consumer segment. You know, when you go from a function to full PL, it's definitely a wake-up call because it's less about, well, how great is my function performing to what is the overall business impact, which we all think about. But that that for me was a, a real learning experience. I like going back to business school and it was business school on steroids. So like, how do you think about your margin? How do you think about, the levers to make your number. like It's really different going from, okay, yeah, we have quarterly metrics in marketing and we have to hit them and what's the customer experience and how do we drive trials and digital to, wait a minute, every week, commit, gut, stretch, commit, gut, stretch. You get super focused on what truly matters.
1: It's interesting that as you you throw P&L, which, you know, for marketers who don't know P&L, profit and loss, I mean, these are basic business functions. But I think a lot of marketers, especially in tech, have really been groomed to think about terms like customer acquisition cost and growth rate and lifetime value. And these all work into our P&L. But how did you have to go about adjusting your understanding as You said it was essentially business school, I think is the way you put it. You know, how many marketers do you think get that today?
2: Um, I, I think you're right. A lot of the SaaS metrics in particular feed the PL. And so there's a higher awareness of how the marketing activities drive that impact, how it drives the revenue, how it drives new customer acquisition that then becomes a cohort that grows over time. The biggest part, I'd say there were two things. One, that was different. One was around how do you make roadmap trade offs and engineering cost trade offs? So, part of the the cost structure to decide what's really going to drive the PL. And, you know, an example is okay, like it's one thing to think about yes, we care about the trial roadmap. You know, how do we make this frictionless? How do we drive higher velocity from a uh, growth marketing standpoint, but then when you have a VP of engineering who comes to you and says, hey, we have these incubation ideas, we have these adjacent areas, I'd like to spin up 20 engineers to go off and, or a pizza box team of 10 to go off and do X. How do you think about that in the context of the longer term business? So that that's one area that was kind of new thinking for me. And then the other is, you know, because there were three customer segments within the company. And for me, it was being elevated to the exec team and having to think more broadly about the portfolio, even beyond mine. So, yeah, it's one thing I could say, yeah, we, we're going to drive 20 points plus of growth and a better CAC and this. But then to look at, well, what's the impact across the rest of the committee particularly like when you look at segments like SMB and enterprise where the MB the medium business and the enterprise there's a lot of overlap in terms of channels and go to market strategies and really being a better team player in terms of optimizing those channels so you know a lot of shared channels in the go to market when you get up to medium and large business
1: It's really interesting. And and I'm smiling here because I just got off an executive offsite, the first in person one we've done since the pandemic. And I've had directors and VPs of marketing ask me this question in the past What's that difference when you become part of, as you said, that executive team? And I think you put it really well, Carol. It's that need to compromise, it's that need to not just come and say, I need all this budget to go and accomplish. It's the ability, as you said, to look across to that VP of ENGE. And say, okay, well, what do you need, or what can I give up that's going to help the business in a grander vision? You know, it, it's amazing you got that experience at Trend Micro. I'm curious, you know, over the last call it six, seven years of your career, what has pulled you to a CEO opportunity which you've had versus CMO, and, and where do you think you found your balance at the best place?
2: Yeah, you know, I, I did not plan my career clearly. If you look at my resume, I've uh, I've been in many small companies, uh, four startups, two were purchased, um, one went public, and one folded. I've been in large companies like Google and now VMware, Apple. Earlier in my career, I've been very fortunate to have these different experiences, and I can tell you, Randy, the only thread is I have followed people. I have fallen in love. My husband says I fall in love too quickly with vision and ideas and charismatic leaders. And and I will follow, I follow people. So like I went to trend, not even knowing really what they did very well. I went because the CEO, Eva Chen, is a female strong leader. And I wanted that experience of working for a female executive. So after trend, I had in my head Silly me, Randy. I had this idea that I could not go to a startup because at that point I had not been in a startup for about 10 years. And I had it in my head that before I went to a startup, and by the way, I was getting calls because I was a general manager with about a $600 million PL. I was getting calls for president, CEO of very small companies. But in my head, I thought, I haven't been in a startup in 10 years. And so I had this, this is talk about the little voice I should have just squashed. But anyway, I thought I have to go to a startup and do a functional role, like another VP of marketing or CMO. So I took this role at ClearSlide based upon the CEO at the time, Al, who was very charismatic, smart, you know, a little goofy. And I thought, okay, I'll go do this and then I'll go be CEO. And what I learned from that experience, I learned a lot about kind of high-velocity SaaS growth. So I did learn a lot. That was good, coming from um, subscription software. You know, it's a it was a good experience to learn a lot more about SaaS. The other thing I learned, as that was winding down, is hey, wait a minute. Yeah, it's great to work for a charismatic young CEO, but I I kind of know a few things and. I wouldn't have made some of the same decisions and I was talking to a friend and she's like, well, what are you going to do next? And I said, yeah, I'll probably go work. You know, I'm kind of hooked on this, uh, startup thing, especially in the area of sat. And she said, well, you've been complaining about like working for inexperienced CEOs. I don't understand why you wouldn't just go do it. That's all it took. And then I just, you know, another friend of mine, this is why it's good to have friends who can tell you the harsh truth. He's like, You're crazy. All you have to do is tell all the people who call you, all these recruiters and friends and network, I'm not looking for a CMO role. I do a thought experiment and just tell them I'm looking for a CEO role and give yourself, you know, whatever your financial constraints are three months, six months, a year. Like, I'm only going to look at CEO roles for a year. And so that's the thought experiment I did. And it's shocking, Randy. You tell people that, like, oh, this is what I want to do. And guess what? You start getting. That's like the news calls. Yeah. Like, again, this is where having more confidence and just saying, this is what I want to do. I ended up being CEO because one of my, someone in my network who had worked for me in the past as a product manager is now a VC. And he said, I've got this really interesting company. Here's the upside, here's the downside. They need good leadership. They have great product, you know, blah, blah, blah. And um, that's how I became CEO of ElasticBox, this DevOps company that we ultimately did sell. But again, we all sit around saying, I-, I could do a better job than that CEO. And then, you know, put your money where your mouth is. Go do it. It's hard. It is hard to be a CEO. That's what I did learn. And it's also a very lonely, lonely job.
1: So really fascinating. And, and I want to fast forward to the last, let's call it five years. And and you look at these opportunities that that I've already touched on that you had with Google Cloud overseeing their marketing and now with VMware as their CMO and and you can understand I mean these these first of all are true enterprise you know, not yeah not to take anything away from the other companies you've been with in your career but these are true enterprise what's sexy about them to me is they're they're associated to be high growth enterprise right mm-hmm. we we think some enterprises kind of these stingy companies these are transformative companies that you've been able to be part of. And I think as I look at everything I've heard from you, they're buying in on someone to be CMO who can run a business, right? Who, who can really propel that. And, and I'm wondering, you talked about confidence. How did that confidence help you land these more recent opportunities?
2: Yeah. And so two things. Um, one is I think having a growth mindset and saying, so when we sold Elastic Box, to a very large telco who was trying to be an MSP. Most of the team, and we were small, 50 people, most of the team was like, eh, I don't think, I... it's ironic, a lot of them are still there because the culture is actually quite good. And I had the mindset of my first initial, you know, you're going through all the negotiations is like, okay, yeah, we're gonna sell and then I'll be out and I'll go to the next thing. And then I realized, well, I need to take care of my team. So I'll do a six month transition period Ensure like customers are taken care of, my team is taken care of. They made me VP of cloud sales strategy. Think 50,000 person company. <laughs> and I'm like, me, VP of cloud sales strategy. And I just decided I was going to embrace it with a growth mindset and learn everything I could because 50,000 person company doing, I think at that time, $34 billion of revenue. Like think, talk about scale. And I really, in my mind, had not thought, I would go back to working for that large a company ever again in my career. And I learned more in those six months than any other time in my career. And here's what I learned. I learned how big companies work. Again, I learned how to operate and drive a new initiative within a company and to be able to see the impact you can have at scale. And I learned also that these are companies where, to your point, like, hardcore enterprise selling marketing customer experience so really how do you help companies like coca-cola chick-fil-a fannie mae like a lot of government uh enterprises like how do you help them which was very very interesting particularly coming and being part of a sales org at scale and then i met diane green and again you know back to the people factor I was lured by this idea of working for a very strong, charismatic, innovator, entrepreneur who herself was going, you know, driving this Google Cloud vision. I mean, when I got there, it was the world's largest startup. You know, there was just no process, nothing, and it was building. So I like the building. I like the challenge. I like the transformation and uh, super, super fun time.
1: That's amazing. Well, uh, Speaking of transformation, we're gonna take a quick break here on the marketer's journey with Carol. We'll be back to talk about the buyer's journey right after a short break.
0: Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com slash journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences.
1: Listening to Carol, you really got to wonder why more CMOs don't become CEOs and general managers of business. When we think about the role of the CMO, it is really to connect people in the organization. We have to connect as we know naturally with sales, but these days even more with account management as we look to nurture the customer even after the purchase. The role of the CMO really is that ability to navigate an organization. And I think over time we will see more and more CMOs cross that bridge to oversee an entire organization. So Carol, I want to jump into the reality of this large enterprise we described that VMware is and I was on the VMware website earlier today and I was looking at all the products and I just got overwhelmed. Right? I mean, there are so many things that VMware can solve for, for an organization. And I'm wondering, as CMO, what that means in terms of how you think about your customers and the different go-to-market strategies.
2: Randy, um, you know how websites are a reflection of a company often, and we are no exception. It is a blessing and a curse to have such a broad and deep portfolio. And what we're trying to do is help customers spark innovation to accelerate their growth. And that's a really broad mission. And we can go a lot of different directions within that. So one thing that we focus on a lot here in VMware is how do we segment so that we can drive go-to-market plays that are consistent across marketing, sales, customer success, and professional services, all the go-to-market teams. That is where You know, the influence and negotiation comes in because everyone's baby is beautiful. Everyone's baby is the hottest product around. And the best way I've known is obviously, you know, being customer first, getting customer input, and usually prospect input. Because your own customers are going to take you down a certain path that drives reinvestment in where you are today. Like your own customers, you know, they love the iPhone 12, they don't need a 13. And it's not until you talk to the people who have fresher eyes that you really understand, like, what do we really need to do? So an area that we've been putting here a lot of attention on is at VMware is around segmentation and clear, clear positioning. And I'll give you a few examples. So we have an app modernization portfolio. It's branded Tanzu as a sub-family name. And Tanzu is really based upon open source, Kubernetes, And it provides an application modernization platform, so a way to help companies modernize their applications so they can move them to the cloud and they can run them more efficiently and drive a better DevOps process. Okay, there's a lot the platform can do, but how you win is by focusing on who is the early buyer, who is going to drive the early wave of adoption, for the latest solution and being crystal clear upon what are the three use cases what are the three solutions that are going to solve their pain point and it sounds like marketing 101 and it is except that i I just don't see it always happening here in practice as well as it could be and with my peers and that's why there's a lot of noise in the market right you you look at the Tanzu portfolio and we've really tuned it down and honed it to not say we can solve all the application development problems in the world but to focus on the application modernization challenge which is you have legacy apps and how do you transform to a modern architecture to drive acceleration and get code to production faster so focusing on that focusing on the DevOps audience initially And that's where our focus is. And that's why we have DevOps loop. That's why we have spring one coming, um, really tuning and focusing on a set of problems. It's really interesting.
1: I have a quick question for you there, which is, I think where a lot of marketers get bogged down and overwhelmed is this, you know these stats we see from analysts like Gartner and CEB who will tell us that there's, I don't know what the latest number, if it's nine or 10 or 11 different buyers who are evaluating any decision. I like how the way you described it that at VMware you're focusing on the early adopter, if you will, that innovator, that one who's gonna break through and really champion the deal for you.
2: Those studies are all about like you need, you know, you need to look at a buying center and a group of buyers, not just one person, but there's an archetype we're looking for. Yeah, you over time you have to also get the you know, the naysayer procurement people involved and you for sure, but finding those champions who are gonna light the way, that's what I was referring to. And I agree with you. I think part of the positioning challenge and, and you can see this across almost every company right now is just because you can, doesn't mean you should. And we have technology and you know, you were mentioning ClearSlide as an example, That was a great example where when I first got there, they said, oh, this is Webex for sales. I'm like, no, people already use Webex. We don't need Webex for sales. Like that is not compelling. We can be that, but that is not the compelling pain and problem that needs to be solved. So the can versus should and, and identifying the greatest need is some of the magic that we in marketing need to bring to the table
1: interesting so i, I want to go deeper in terms of how you hook someone and in the the question i've got for you is this idea should we be leading with speaking to the persona as you kind of described or should we be leading by talking about the solution or the product where do you think marketers more today need to lean to pull up up front is it more that solution pain approach or that product and what it can actually do
2: yeah i'm so i think generally randy it should be around the solution pain approach nobody wants to hear you talk about yourself they want to hear you i they want to talk about them themselves and their problems and i still remember in the early days of google cloud we would always go in with oh we're google here's our mission around making data useful and blah blah, blah organizing the world's information and oh by the way. This is how we do it. So, therefore, you should use Google Cloud to run like us. Flat like a pancake. Okay. Zero. Nobody. Everybody's like, well, first of all, it's kind of arrogant. Second of all, we're not you. We don't have your resources. Like, it did not work on any level. They want to hear more about, like, okay, help us see how you understand our problems and how you have done this for other companies. So especially for enterprises and especially for those personas, you know, think about it. People buy because you want to feel satisfied or superior. And I don't mean superior in an arrogant way, but think about this pen, you know, you want to buy this pen. Well, you generally want to feel satisfied. Did I get my money's worth? Is it functional, right? You buy a car, depending upon, you know, what kind of car you're buying, there's often a feeling of, okay, I'm satisfied because it can get me from point A to point B or gosh, I feel a little superior because I could afford a McLaren. I'm just throwing that out there. It's obviously not a car I own. Um, but to make my point that that's what people want to feel and believe, and don't let anyone tell you it's anything other than that. I don't care. IT buyer, developer, that is what... I got the best tool. I found the best Java tool and I'm going to be using it. Or I'm going to be using Python because it's cool and And yeah, it's functional also, but I think understanding really clearly where you fit, understanding your value stack, as I call it, which is, you know, again, functional, economic, and emotional, and determining why are your customers buying, and it often leads to leading with the customers' problems, the pain points, and then you know the vitamin or hopefully the painkiller. Because the painkillers are what uh drive urgency and
1: immediacy right i love that that word of, of making your buyer feel superior i think all of us as marketers as we've thought through campaigns at some point we've we've thrown up that idea of, of turning our buyer into that superhero right you know that with our solution they can achieve anything they can overcome the obstacles that it put in front of them and, and i think it's a it's a great rallying point for us to really keep in mind Carol, we're gonna keep you around. I'm gonna ask you some questions. We'll see how superior you can nail these. These are more of a rapid fire. We'll take a quick break though, before we get to that here on The Marketer's Journey. As I reflect on that segment with Carol, I can't stop thinking about how do I make our buyers superheroes? And, And really that is the goal of marketing. It's to help elevate the perception that that buyer has of what they can do with your offering. You know, She gave great examples of cars and I can think of that as well when I buy anything for myself personally. I want to elevate my game. That's what we have to think about our ability to solve with whatever product or service we may offer how can we elevate the game of our buyer to that next level? Welcome back to The Marketer's Journey. Carol, it is time for rapid fire time. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. All right, the first one that I love asking CMOs is as you think about those next generation of up and coming marketers, should they get to that path By being more of a specialist or a generalist?
2: I would recommend specialist early in career and then dabble and learn other areas of marketing. Right now, I'd say the two areas that I think uh, every marketer should understand and have some hands on experience with one is growth marketing, and the other is data and analytics. And they kind of go hand in hand, but that you can go really deep in both. And those are skills that will take you to Mars
1: and back. That's great advice. And, and I think even just learning about your journey and your stops as a CEO and your stops as a general manager definitely have, have turned you into that enterprise CMO that we've we've learned from today. All right. My next question for you here. You, know, you may have already teased to this, but what is one thing you wish marketers would do more of?
2: Measurement. I mean, we, we, I tell my team we have to eat data for breakfast. We cannot just be the people who run up and down the stairs faster. We have to be building the high-speed elevators to get to the 100th floor.
1: And that means clear measurement milestones, yes. Great advice. All let right, let's, let's shift to an area that's near and dear to my heart, content. When you think about great content marketing or great content experiences, what comes to your mind?
2: Provocation. You know, most content is so bland, you just want to fall over, especially in enterprise. For some reason, we think enterprise content has to be a certain level of boringness. So when I say provocation, like provoke me, provoke our prospects, cause them to think differently.
1: I love that. I, I have completely signed up for that at every stage with UberFlip. So I, I relate. That's how you break through. That's how you create categories. That's how you pull people in. So, what is one area in your marketing program where you see the greatest opportunity for innovation or new ideas, and you know, just shortly why?
2: Oh my goodness, so many areas, but the one area we're focused on right now, and you know, really looking at how we can do better, is attribution. Attribution is, you know, this art and science that all of us have been uh, been working on for years. There really are not great solutions for this. So if, if you all, in addition to doing content at some point, Randy, decide to extend into attribution, um, I would probably buy a lot of it.
1: There you go. Well, absolutely. I mean, that's a big part of, of our platform at Uberflip is making sure not only do we put great content out in front of people that provokes, to your point, but learn what content is working, right? That's got to funnel back, as you said, into your marketing automation, into your CRM. You know, the ability to understand that path is is key. All right. The last one's definitely the softest of all these questions, but still a rapid-fire question. We've talked about your career journey. We've hit on the buyer journey. When you think about your own personal journey and the need to disconnect, now that we can travel again to a degree, where are you traveling next? Well,
2: on a daily basis, I try to travel to my treadmill with my laptop. I think doing a few meetings while you're moving and walking is just a great way to break up the day and also make sure you don't end up with covid but personally so we just got back from belize where we did the best diving that we've done in 20 plus years as a family incredible coral life growth sponges i mean just made our hearts sing to see that it was thriving now not not the case in lots of parts of the world as we know because of climate change um so our next trip we've been talking about and we well we are going we're going down to santa barbara which is down the california coast it's kind of a beachy town with just a lot of fresh air
1: absolutely that sounds great my sister just got back from that trip and loved it so i can probably get you some restaurants Carol, this has been fantastic. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your journey. If anyone has tuned in and listened to this podcast, stumbling upon it for the first time, every CMO who joins on this podcast, they have a unique story. And you're charting out your own path, your own journey. I hope one day you'll share it. Until next time, check out all the other episodes we have. This has been The Marketer's Journey. And a big thank you to Carol Carpenter.